Welcome to Help From Future Self. What's going on, Archons? Welcome to Help From Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast amongst friends. Unfortunately, we do not have Scuzzy Gru and Alex today. He is on vacation, but uh, I've brought another Keyforge friend on here, and it's uh, Sir Dan from Sanctimonious has joined us today. How's it going, Dan? It's going well. I'm just a small replica of Alex, a.k.a. Scuzzy Gruen, and I am no ways affiliated with House Logos or Untamed. <laughs> just want to make sure that's clear. House Sanctum for life. <laughs> and as always, we have uh, Rick with us this week. How are you doing, Rick? Not too bad. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, we had a, a fun weekend. And yes, um, also... Uh, a fun weekend because we had some interesting news drop on the online scene of Keyforge. We now have AOA on the Crucible Online. Uh, how's everyone been enjoying that so far? My favorite deck is now garbage. It's going in the trash, <laughs> ripping it up. It's no good. And now I know it. Feels bad. <laughs> I'm just loving it. Yeah, you're getting in those reps now, uh, Rick, and finding out the sauce in your decks. I definitely will be doing today. I haven't done it quite yet, but I will be. Yeah, I've been uh, getting to jam a few games. Uh, it's nice because, as you may or may not know, I do a segment called Crucible and Coffee on my YouTube. And uh, I've been exclusively having to run with my uh, collection of Coda decks, and now I can bring AOA into the fold. So that's been uh, really fun. I think it's it's not that as buggy as I thought it would be. There's obviously a couple things, but they, they did a good job fixing everything, I thought. No, they did. And the nice thing is it's open source now. People may not know that. It's been uh, JDL has given it over to Cryogen, who Cryogen has then open sourced it. So there's constantly like 15, 20 people working on it. So anytime bugs get reported, I feel like a lot of the initial bugs have been reported and have been fixed. And they're just waiting to hit a mass amount enough to actually like shut it down and post the new fixes. So it, it should stabilize really soon. And a lot of that stuff will kind of go by the wayside but if you have a might makes right deck now is the time to run it because you can sacrifice your opponent's creatures and it's hilarious <laughs> so go go Ooh. out there and troll troll so hard but make sure you're just trolling like people you know and not like actual like randos because that that's pretty feels bad but yeah might makes right kills all creatures right now so it's kind of funny i have the perfect opponent for that <laughs> uh who's that rick joe oh, okay nice um <laughs> All right, so um, now we're going to move on to our weekly segment. Uh, as you know, we've been rotating through a couple new ones, and now we're we're going to go back to uh, one of the originals because uh, Dan has not got to participate in that, and we thought it would be a fun one. So this week we're doing uh, Over Under. Uh, Rick, why don't you kick things off and uh, show us the ropes on this one? Well, I often heard a lot about this artifact that I'm going to mention, but I'd never played against it until the weekend that we redid our event, but uh, Heart of the Forest is actually a lot stronger than uh, I once anticipated. It just shut one of my decks down pretty much completely. Yeah, it, it is a very uh, strong card, and if it's in the right deck, it can really uh, cause some damage. And it's interesting that you chose that card in particular, because I know uh, Dan has a, a few Heart of the Forest decks. <laughs> Maybe even sold one to you, Blake. Sucker. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, Heart of the Forest is a great card. Like, you really need the deck to back it up. You need to have either, like, a couple Miasmas that you can stall out your opponent once you both get to two keys. Um, you need a key cheat and a way to burst Amber if you have, like, Untamed, like a Full Moon and some kind of archiving or just some way to really burst through that last turn and 
forge that third key while your opponent stuck at two keys. Uh, other cool ones I've seen have had logos with interdimensional graft. So if they go way above or logos and redacted is really silly with a heart yeah, of the forest. That one sounds crazy. Because then you just yeah get enough amber so that you forge and hit your redacted at the same time in the same turn. I feel like that card is uh, it's one of the, if not the most skill testing card because there's so many ways and interactions that you can play. And I feel like you almost have to play Keyforge not the standard way when you have it and you have to really plan your turns uh, ahead of time and sometimes maybe hold longer than you normally would in certain situations. Sure. Well, I think a lot of times too, you're just playing a normal game of Keyforge and then once you hit it, if you hit it in a situation where you're ahead, like sometimes it's almost worthwhile throwing it away unless you have a way within your own deck to get rid of it. Or when you play I mean, if it drops turn one, like in the opening two turns, it it completely puts the game on its head, basically. A little bit. I've been, I mean, I've jammed probably 10 or 15 games with different Heart of the Forest decks now, and it kind of changes it. Like, I've tried the route where I try to stay at one key forever and build up a critical mass, and that's kind of fun. But at the same time, a lot of times your opponent gets so far ahead that you're not actually, like able to build up like that critical board mass to do the like big reap turn where if you have like a bunch of like four or five untamed creatures out you reap four or five times and then play key charge so yeah Yeah. it's it's a puzzle there's definitely a lot of reps to get your head around it interesting and rick you your experience has just been playing against it on the weekend right yeah yeah i um i got hosed by the same deck uh we had a new player at our uh our triad tournament on the weekend at june and uh, she had a really great Heart of the Forest deck with Grump Buggy, which was uh, <laughs> pretty uh, pretty crazy, and uh, it was piloted really well. I think, but yeah, it was it was a really a really challenging deck to play against, and it really made you think and plan, and uh, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, Dan, what's your uh, over under? <sighs> Audible sigh. Blake's used to hearing those when we're playing against each other. <laughs> so I came in really, really, really high on Martian Generosity. So it's one amber Mars action card. Um, lose all of your amber and draw two cards for every card or every amber discarded this way. So, I mean, if you play it and you have no amber, you're drawing two cards, which is pretty sweet. But where it gets really silly is if you're at four and you pushes you to five, you draw 10 and you have key abduction, it's a free key. I thought this was going to be so overpowered. Um, and it still kind of is. Like, But my expectations were way higher on it. I've been jamming a bunch of games. I was mentioning my favorite deck, and it's the Master of Mush Growth. And it has the drummer ganger Knot combo. It's got a Glimmer Nature's Call combo. It's got a Nepseed double key abduction. But yeah, the deck has no amber control, and so it's pretty much a coin flip deck. And it makes me so sad. I thought the uh, I thought Martian Generosity could really carry it, and it just can't because I'm like so dependent on drawing that or drawing one of the combos early to get the first couple keys that you need, or get, at least get one key to set up the two key combo turn. And yeah, sometimes you just don't get there, and the other deck goes faster than you. So Martian Generosity, I thought was just going to be like kind of like Lands Junior a little bit, but easier to pull off, and it's uh. It kind of is, and it kind of isn't. I'm not saying it's like a terrible card. It's like still a really, really good card, but more has to go right for you than I first thought it would. I mean, if anyone out there has the opportunity to play a Martian Generosity Key Abduction, I do recommend it. Dan put me onto one, and I got it, and I played it. And it's honestly like one of the most satisfying feelings when you do pull it off. So it may not be something competitive, but definitely something you want to play casual because it's so much fun to do and to pull off. So uh, you're right. It is, it is got some consistency issues, but when it does happen, it's like one of the best feelings in Keyforge, I think. 
No, I think you just really need a deck that does play a regular fair game of Keyforge well and has Amber control. Like, that's the main issue with my deck, is I have two cards that control Amber. And I mean, if I pull off Martian Generosity, I see those two cards, but that's only two cards. And so sometimes it's, yeah, you just, you're not getting there just because you can't slow your opponent down. Yeah, fair. All right, and for me, my over-under for the week is Carlo. So Carlo is a Coda card from uh, Shadows, uh, Carlo Phantom. And um, it's a one-power elusive skirmish creature that has a passive effect that says whenever you play an artifact, steal an ember. So I have a deck that has, I believe it's five artifacts and two Carlos, and I got to really play it on the weekend and get some reps in, and it was so powerful because I have a way of, I have a Nepseed in it as well, and sometimes I would just grab another Carlo or an artifact that got destroyed or something like that, and it was a really u- utility way of getting to steal an Ember on the sly because a one-power elusive skirmish creature, for some reason, is not like an instant threat to people. They don't target it right away, so it usually sticks for a turn or two, which allows you to do something. And when I can get both of them out, being able to steal two by just playing an artifact, is uh, it feels good. And so it really overperformed for me in the tournament on the weekend, which uh, we'll be talking about shortly. And um, yeah, I just find it a really great card. I don't know what you gents have had experience with that before. Uh, my best deck is probably a single Carlo double arise eight artifact deck that's pretty silly. And like, I think three of the eight artifacts are sack artifacts. So you just keep um, drawing back into them. And it's also got a screaming cave for all the fun value once you have them oh, nice. stuck out there. So you can just keep playing those burn artifacts. And it's pretty good. Yeah. Like anytime you have a one power creature, though. Nowadays, in the lands of AOA, there's so much yeah. stuff that just does one damage, so he's probably going to be a little less survivable than he was. But yeah, like you said, he's not yeah. like an immediate threat unless your opponent really counts your artifacts when they're going through your list, yeah. which isn't something that's high on a lot of people's minds is counting how many artifacts you have. What about you, Rick? Have you had any experience against it? Uh, against it? Not that I can recall. I or do know that I've got a deck or two with it in it, but I haven't played them much yet, so... We shall see. Yeah, indeed. All right, so now we're going to move on to the uh, the main topic today, which is uh, the triad format. Uh, Rick and I had the privilege of participating at an LGS in a triad tournament. It was an Archon one, so we brought three decks, and basically our opponent looked at all three deck lists and then chose that we could not play a certain deck. And then we had to win with the other two decks. So it was a best-of-three game. There was... Um, Six people in our tournament, which was actually really good because they're really long. Like they, the rounds are ninety minutes, and uh, they feel very long. Actually, um, Rick, how was your experience with the tournament this weekend? It was a lot of fun, but it was really long. And I'm usually a little bit brain dead by the end of the day. Yesterday, I just wanted to go to sleep. Yeah, so I needed to recharge. Dan, have you had any experience with Triad at all? So I mean, I've I've played one Triad survival at a well it wasn't triad i guess it was just survival so it was still th- choose three decks um at the vault tour seattle but it was only four rounds so it wasn't true survival which was sad but yeah i went three and one um i guess we didn't get the experience of actually like eliminating them playing a best two out of three though but uh let me let me pose some questions to you guys all right so blake and rick did you have the same deck eliminated every round or did opponents switch it up on your lists Actually, I went into it thinking that one of my decks would be taken out every single time, 
But sure enough, um, the lady that had the Heart of the Forest deck, she took out the deck that didn't have a Time Traveler in it, which I was very shocked by. So I got to play my two Time Traveler decks, and she actually beat one of them with her Heart of the Forest deck. Nice. Yeah, for me, I did have the exact same deck benched every single game without <laughs> failure. And it is it is my best deck, too. It's a triple routine job, double exhume with a Ronnie, and it's got crazy archiving in Logos. So it was like people were, and people literally didn't even read the list. Sometimes were like, you had dis shadows and logos. So I just benched that one because of your house combination. It wasn't, they said they didn't even really look at the list. Nice. So yeah, it, it was every game. All right. When you guys went to look at your, the three lists of your opponents, what were you thinking? What was your plan for elimination? I actually really didn't have one. I just looked at the list and was like, okay, I could have trouble with this, this, and this. I'm going to get rid of this. It was basically just what cards I thought I would have trouble with. For me, I was kind of looking at, I kind of knew that my one deck was going to get benched, I felt like, because it, especially after the second time it happened, I was like, okay, this feels like this is happening this way. And and I basically planned on one of my decks. I knew it wasn't going to get benched, and it was the one I had the most reps with. And it relies on uh, me being able to use my artifacts and stuff like that. So I was kind of looking for anything that had a really strong artifact hate or could steal my artifacts. Those things came into mind uh, of wanting to not have them necessarily uh, dealt with. And then the other thing I was looking at was, did they have something that was like a crazy burst house that could key cheat? So basically an untamed suite that had like, like for example, one guy had a deck. I can't remember who it was exactly, but the deck was essentially triple dust pixie with a full moon a hunting witch and a choda and i was like yes. yeah this deck this deck is just literally a if you're on the third key you lose if they've been not playing untamed the whole game you're just gonna get wrecked basically so i was just like yeah so that was the one i benched there because i was like even though i thought some of the other decks may give my decks trouble i just knew that deck was going to be a big challenge so i was thinking more like matchup and then what's just going to be problematic all right, so when you got your one deck eliminated every game, how did you choose between the next two? Which one to run first? Did you think about the matchup and the other person, or did you just have it already set in your mind which deck you're going to lean towards for the first game? I wasn't sure how it goes about like choosing the deck that your opponent chooses against you, because I don't know if there was a discussion on that or no, there wasn't no, anything you really. Both, you just both choose blind going into the first game. There was in some matches where I was hoping they were going to choose this deck first because I thought this one would be a better matchup. But then I also, um, I, I put a, a Twitter call out and I cannot remember who was the person who responded to this, but I asked for like, what's advice going into triad. And there was two, this one person, I, for life of me, cannot remember their name now on this. I think it's Key Forging, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was. Good thing you have me here, Blake. Yeah, as always. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what I basically, what his advice was, was to sleeve all your decks with the same color sleeve. So if one deck's getting benched continuously and people see, they're not like auto going, oh, that's the one I should get rid of. And then the other advice he gave was to play your best deck first. And I did that. And then when I got to my second deck, which was not as good, I noticed a huge problem. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be problematic because this deck that I thought was pretty good, ratings looked good. But when I started playing it, I hadn't got a lot of reps in and I didn't know how to properly pilot it. And that's one of the reasons why I brought it was I knew I'd get some reps in. I noticed there was a problem and it wasn't as strong as I thought and I ran into issues. So then after that first game, which was my first loss, I pivoted instead of playing with my strongest deck to playing with my weakest deck first. And it worked out pretty well because once I started doing that route, 
I was able to either get it out of the way or then I could switch to my other deck in between. If I was like, oh, this deck is not good against this deck, I can now switch to my other deck and then so on and so forth, go through it. So that was the one thing that happened for me was I found that going with my strongest deck first actually did not work well for me in this instance. Cool. Rick, did you have any strategy going into that? Not really, because I thought my strongest deck would get benched every time. So I was just going to go with my the my other time traveler because I had two time travelers going in. But the the one time that I didn't get my top time traveler deck benched, I just because I know it so well, I just went with that one first. Cool. It was it was more of a what do I know better? Sure, I'll go with that. Uh, makes sense. All right, I, probably the last question on this whole topic would be when you're selecting your three decks, what did you what did you consider? Did you try to have a certain lineup to try to take the same houses or is it just purely <laughs> we know this isn't true for Blake, but the ones you have the most reps with? Again, I just went with what I had most reps with, what I knew best, and what I thought would be the most easy for me to pilot. Yeah, for me, I actually did go with my 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 two decks that I was absolutely certain about are the two decks I have the most reps with. One is my best deck, I know that. And then the other one was the deck I had the most reps with. And then the third one, I was actually, I kind of made like a game time decision. I was going to go with this Grump Buggy deck uh, that's really gross and it's it's fun. But I, I kind of was like, you know what? I feel like under the time constraint, this deck could be problematic. <laughs> I didn't want to go to time. So then I chose, I literally just chose my next highest deck. And I was like, and part of my thought process was, you know what? This is, even though this is like a an event, it's not like a big anything on the line event so I, I thought it'd be great to bring a deck that I haven't spent a lot of time with that looks good on paper and try and like figure it out and get some reps in and stuff like that which did happen and and so like I was happy with my decision awesome yeah <clears throat> I'll close out like I've put together my three deck triad list when Denver was the thing that was going to happen and that was actually a format I was kind of formulating thoughts and I figured I wanted one deck at least that was like heavy artifact hate which I do have one deck that'll just crush any artifact deck because of the number. I think it's like, it's at least one Poltergeist, Necklifter, Speed Sigil with Triple Nexus. Like, you use their artifacts more than they do. So I figured I would have one just like mm -hmm. anti artifact deck in the lineup. And then hopefully that can sneak through my two better decks sometimes too if they're concerned about their artifact usage. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that strategy. Yeah, I, th I thought yep. about that. Uh, some of my, I mean, my pool didn't have everything I wanted in that case, but yeah, I really like that. I, th I think having like a tool chest set of decks is, is not a bad idea at all. All right. So just to, to wrap up our tournament with the triad, there was three takeaways I really had from this. And uh, one was that bringing your decks that you're very familiar with and have a lot of reps with is definitely a smart decision because there is definitely... Did you get reps in with decks before you take them to tournaments? Get out! Well, of this is town. a local. This is a local tournament. <laughs> Come on, but but it was more. It was more because of the mental fatigue that does exist when you're playing like these kind of marathon games, and that is the main reason that I think you need to know your deck well so you don't have to spend that mental energy because you're already going to be using a lot of it throughout the course. So that was a big one, and the other one was just come up with a banning strategy based on your decks. Uh, kind of know what is out there and know what will hurt you and if those cards exist maybe have those and then the last one is uh the statement that you're only as strong as your weakest deck in in this triad so you got to be yeah. very aware of uh what you're bringing and and what its shortcomings are because you will have to win with it there's no like there's no way around it so 
Let's move on to the segment that everyone knows and loves, what the show is named after. We have help, help from, future, from self. future Self. All right. So, uh, Dan, why don't you kick things off? And uh, as our guest, why don't we allow the guests to go first? Tell us about your uh, level up <sighs> help from future self moment. Yeah. So this is kind of like, so we kind of talked about, I've had to kind of bench my favorite deck, the Master of Mushgrowth. I wanted that deck to be so good. I had a lot of fun. I actually took it to a chain bound and went um, one and two with it, and I was blaming the pilot a lot. And that night, that was pretty necessary because I made a lot of mistakes and didn't play very well. But now that I've jammed, I think I've jammed 10 games with it on TCO in the last two days, and I started off really hot. I was like four and one. I was just high rolling into my ganger drummer combo just over and over again, and then hitting Martian Generosity Key Abduction to close out games. Like, it felt so good. I beat somebody that had a like i think it was like a 14 chained power level three deck there were 17 and two with a coda deck and i like just smashed him three and one and i was feeling so good and then all of a sudden i went from four and one to four and five <laughs> like just losing four games in a row where i didn't high roll and like the major issue like i kind of alluded to a few times is just you really need amber control in this game if you have no amber control like it's every game you're going into is kind of a coin flip, even with something as busted potentially as Martian generosity, key abduction, the pent seed, you still have to draw those cards, have them out at the right time, have enough Amber built up before you can fire it off. Um, the drummer not combo is also very important to the deck. And if drummer not Martian generosity, which sometimes happen are both in like the bottom five, six cards, like it's just a rough game when you can't slow your opponent down at all. So yeah, Amber Amber Control apparently, you know, in a game where you need Amber to win the game and to prevent your opponent from winning the game is very important. And I need to stop chasing some of these wild fantasies that you can overcome it with other things. That's fair. I still think you should still have fun with decks, and I know you you take things pretty seriously, but I mean, it's you know that it's a fun deck at the end no, of the day, no, so I don't I think really, it's a total. No, I really enjoy playing the deck. I mean, I'm not like. I'm not actually going to put it in the shredder. Um, <laughs> I'll continue to pilot it and take it out and mess around with it because it is, it is a lot of fun to play. There's a lot of really cool lines with Nepseed and Glimmer where you can recur Ganger Not Drummer, you know, Ganger Not Combo or just recur Glimmer Nature's Call Combo. Like, there's really interesting lines and it feels like there's a lot of power, but just the lack of Amber Control really just makes it kind of tough to stomach when you can't uh, find the pieces you need. So, my Help from Future Self moment is uh, kind of about awareness and deck awareness so during the course of the tournament on the weekend and then uh when dan and i played last night on tco where it's a little easier to to have this occur because you don't have the physical cards in front of you to see when you have cards like a uh, nepenthesis glimmer exhume mimicry things like that because uh, then it affects your opponent's uh, discard as well you really need to be aware of how many cards are left in your deck as it gets lower and lower to know that if you're going to be playing out four cards and drawing four that if you only had three cards in your like deck left you're going to be shuffling so if you were holding that exhume that turn or for example your nepenthesis or glimmer anything like that you're essentially just having a dead card in your hand afterwards when you go to shuffle at the end of that turn so i just learned that i i just basically misplayed by i could have not played a card as well and kept my my discard alive for one more turn things like that and and, it, and in one game, it almost was a deciding factor because I was counting on pulling back like a Shuler to put off a key. Um, so things like that, exhuming a Shuler is, it was the play I was looking for. And just being very aware of things like that so you know 
what you're able to do and when you can do it. So I just needed to take a moment and just really, as the deck gets lower, just know that count and know if you're playing out so many cards that you don't get caught with your pants down in a way where you were pl- planning on doing some play and now that that has just gone out the window. You guys play weird up in Canada playing with your pants down. Goodness. <laughs> um, no, he's he's right. There. I like, knew that was gonna be a comment. It's it's really it's really it's it's tougher on TCO because you're just clicking and you're not paying attention. Like the number is there. But I find myself on TCO not realizing it a lot more. When I was playing a bunch of TTS games I was way more cognizant of it because you actually have to hover over to draw your cards at the end of turn that'll give you the number and then in real life too Mm -hmm. you can see it but it is definitely a level up moment when you realize like hey i've got four cards in this house but if i only play three of them i can keep this you know like exhume alive in my hand by just not playing one card or you know if you can play glimmer like i've done that with the master mush growth where i've not wanted to reshuffle my deck because of such defense seed actions and I've played a Glimmer to return a card to my hand that I wasn't planning on playing that turn just to keep my count correct for the following turn to re- retain the, the Pence Seed ability. Yeah, I think it's it can be something that can be overlooked. And yeah, it's just it's just awareness. And especially when you're playing like marathon games like that, it's it's easy to like those little things you're you're kind of auto checking. But as you get more tired, you're you're kind of your mental fatigue sets in and you're not kind of looking for things you normally would just important to always give like a, a checklist for certain things when you have certain cards that are going to help you get where you need to go indeed all right so i think that's going to uh wrap it up for today in this episode just want to give a uh, special thanks to dan for filling in for alex today and uh dan where can we find you uh and other folks on uh, social media and whatnot sure so i'm dan is someone d-a-n-i-s-s-o-m-e-1 that's on twitter and twitch stream randomly and then i've even got a youtube channel that's super close to hitting 100 subscribers to get that nice custom subscribe link and then i also do the sanctimonious podcast with my good friend jake freed and him do a weekly podcast as well that usually comes out monday evenings or tuesdays so check us out yeah definitely check them out they uh they have nice uh long episodes and go into a variety of topics i know it feels like we just started like seriously we're done like <laughs> yeah yeah we're we're done. Get, it's great we're in and we're out just get- we're just the we're just the casual amongst <laughs> friends okay we don't we don't want to exhaust oh, I'm you a friend <laughs> we've just taken this relationship yeah. to a new level <laughs> <laughs> and rick where can uh, people find you i'm the wheeling keyforger on twitter and uh, as you may or may not know, I go by Boulevard Paper Fight. That's a BLVD Paper Fight, both on uh, YouTube and on Twitter. And feel free to reach out anytime. Um, if you're not familiar with my Crucible and Coffee segment, check it out. I do it most mornings. And uh, we just want to thank everyone for tuning in. And as always, stay forging. Archons of the Crucible. This is not for this podcast. This is only for the Sanctimonious Podcast. Now forge those keys. Forge those keys.